This is the Advanced Consulting Group Podcast powered by Nationwide Retirement Institute. We are breaking ground today because we are living dangerously and doing a four-person panel discussion using video conference technology. And while this podcast usually breaks down some technical aspects of financial services, we're going to talk today about the people we try to help with these technical strategies, our clients and financial professionals. I must tell you that federal income tax laws are complex and subject to change. Anything discussed in this podcast is based on current interpretations of the law and is not guaranteed nationwide its employees agents brokers and registered representatives do not give legal or tax advice and you should consult an attorney or competent tax professional for answers to specific questions as they apply to your own very special and unique situation i am chad queen and joining me today on our panel is an acg podcast regular a senior director in the advanced consultant group and an annuity specialist the one the only tom duncan hi tom Chad, how are we doing? I'm well, thank you. Uh, making her second appearance on the podcast, a director and thought leadership program management, Julie Raggett Norton. Hi, Julie. Hi, Chad. And making her podcast debut, the associate vice president of the business programs and strategy team, which is a pillar of the Nationwide Retirement Institute, Cindy Hose. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Chad. Hi, I appreciate all of you joining me today. Let's just jump right in. Um, part of what I wanted to ask you all about today was a client segment that may not get a great deal of attention. And I was looking at the results of the Nationwide Today's Family Consumer Survey, and 60% of participants agree that financial advice and solutions aren't designed with non-traditional families in mind. Problematic, right? Julie, how can we characterize a non-traditional family for financial professionals? Are these same-sex couples, blended families, or really just anything that isn't a traditional nuclear family? Well, thank you, Chad, and that's a very good question. I tend to characterize non-traditional families maybe in a slightly different way that doesn't focus so much on demographics or the demographic composition of the family. The traditional family in most financial planning techniques and tactics historically has been with one financial earner, but most importantly, typically with, with one financial decision maker and with pretty clearly delineated kind of objects of consideration, right? So, so historically, many planners have worked with a family in which someone, typically the male in the family, is not only the primary breadwinner, but also the primary decision maker in financial matters. And in terms of the beneficiaries they were considering, it was typically their biological children. What we see in kind of a non-traditional family unit is a splintering of both of those factors. So you're dealing, a financial professional is dealing with a, with a family unit in which there is typically more than one um, decision maker, more than one person who has veto power. And oftentimes they're considering beneficiaries or people within their objects of concern um, who are not just biological children, um, who may be um, other close family of choice, perhaps. Blended families comes up where you have uh, different relationships of of affection and care that aren't necessarily rooted in a biological connection. And so a non-traditional family is really breaking that traditional paradigm of one decision maker, the objects of, of kind of concern being those biological children and really broadening that um, to be whatever works for that family. Cindy and Tom, what steps can financial professionals take to turn this around so that non-traditional families can feel like they are being considered as well? Cindy, can we start with you? Absolutely. So I think what's, um, what's paramount here is really conscious inclusion and really taking a step back and thinking that many of these, what may be termed as non-traditional families, 
may exist within a more traditional family. So really just taking the opportunity to build and extend relationships with these new families based off of existing relationships that an advisor may have. And the advisor can do this really by demonstrating genuine interest as well as concern, performing active listening with members of that you know, non-traditional family, and spending some time really understanding their client's specific values, unique challenges, unsaid truths, fears, competing interests. Again, really just spending time understanding that non-traditional family or family member um, individually. Another area that warrants really spending some time so that non-traditional families feel like they're being considered is spending some time evaluating those different life stage events that impact both traditional as well as non-traditional families, whether it's a marriage, birth of a child, adoption, divorce, a stepchild going to college, maybe it's a second or third marriage, that unique impact your client or potential client may have really some spending some time to uncover opportunities for that individual, that non-traditional family member, as well as the individuals in their family is really essential. Tom, what do you think? Well, I think the, the first thing is to understand that there's going to be competing goals and that it's okay to not be perfect. And that, that strive for perfection and planning, you know, is, is pretty strong among planners, but it's okay for, for now just to make things better. Um, we don't have to make them perfect, but we can help them better. And then you got to give people space to, you know, kind of come to the decisions that they, they want to make, but on their own time and in their own way. That trade-off or that, that understanding of the trade-offs that people and families are going to have to make depending on what direction they go is, is really important about when they make those decisions. Some of the things I've found to be helpful in, in working and talking with financial advisors is really just to begin with some open-ended questions to get them talking, but they don't actually have to provide all the answers right up front in, in the space of this particular conversation. You know, things like, hey, just ask them, have you thought about what happens if you pass? Or if, if you're working with a couple, if one of the other ones pass. They don't have to provide answers. You're just going to start as an advisor. You just start asking those questions to get them to think. Um, another thing that helps is asking them if there's specific items they want to leave behind um, or specific accounts that they want to leave behind to specific people. Again, just per, just to get them started to thinking. And then maybe even think about providing a, a, a questionnaire up front that has some of those questions to think about and maybe asking them to you know do a list of, of assets that they have if it's a blended family type situation that each of them have and that they're bringing there just, again, to start the conversation. Great. Someone recently showed me an article on Kitsis.com, and I apologize if I'm not saying that correctly, uh, that said nearly three-quarters of financial professionals have experienced clients having emotional outbursts or even breakdowns. I'm not saying that members of non-traditional families are more prone to that, but we often hear that they do face complexities that can increase stress while financial planning. Julie, we've talked before about empathy. What should financial professionals keep in mind when working with clients during what could be stressful or delicate conversations? So that's a really important and impactful question. I think that almost every successful advisor I encounter is a good listener. I don't think you work with an affluent or ultra affluent clientele if you're not a good listener. I think that what we're really good at in the financial professional space is listening and finding solutions. I think that's one of the great strengths of this profession and has helped many people uh, prepare for and live in retirement. 
I think this was alluded to in something that Tom and Cindy said, um, but I also think that it's listening for what they're not saying and the hopes and dreams and anxieties that come through in the answers to your uh, very technical questions. There's a great book called The Right Side of the Table by an author called Scott Fithian, and, and most financial advisors know this book well, but he talks about questions that are above the line that really get to the fears, the goals, the hopes, the wishes that people have, not only for what their money does in retirement, but what that legacy that money is going to leave behind. And so I think that really uh, performing empathy in this situation is listening for what's not being said, trying to, where appropriate, direct those conversations to those conversations above the line. What are you trying to manifest with your money? What values are you trying to promote in the world? What, what, what fears do you have around that? And once you get clear on that, the solutions are easy, oftentimes in terms of products and strategies, and the solutions will come. I also think that in terms of dealing with non-traditional families, I think that in many cases what you have, and, and most people don't meet with their financial advisor every day. It's like, you know, in a way it's like buying a house. You don't do it very often. And because of that, you're talking to people about things that you think about as a financial professional every day. But many people, and certainly many couples, haven't thought about that as well. And particularly if there's not clearly established, you know, well-trod lines of decision-making authority and spheres, then sometimes those conversations unearth friction that previously wasn't even discovered by the people involved. So I think being patient around that, remembering that this is something you do frequently, but is oftentimes very new to the people who are engaging within it and can unearth issues that you certainly didn't create, but that your line of questioning may, may bring up. And I think if you keep those in mind, then, then you're half the way there to having those right sorts of conversations. That's great. Uh, Tom, you work with financial professionals about complex strategies, and these complex solutions get relayed to the clients. Uh, is there a way that advisors can break these down so that they don't seem overwhelming to clients? What I've seen be successful is an approach that focuses on uh, simple solutions at a kind of as a first step or at a first level. It may not be where you end up, but maybe that's where you can start as a focus. Because another thing that I, I've seen that with advisors who are just reluctant to have these types of conversations um, because of the, you know, the fear of having you know, people get emotional or uh, not wanting to you know, pry uh, too much as well. I mean, that's a, you know, just having given people their privacy is a, is, can be a concern too. And then I think the other thing is, is that they're just a little reluctant to talk about what the planning techniques could be because they may not be as familiar with some of the more in-depth stuff that they think they might have to they have to really start with. Well, again, I've, I found that not necessary to be the case if you start with simple solutions. You may have to go to the more complex stuff, but if you start with simple, that may be enough for this particular family. Again, if it all gets back to, you know, helping them be comfortable with the trade-offs that they have to make when, when they have to make some of these types of planning decisions. So when I say techniques that are simple, things like just beneficiary designations, you know, who's going to be the beneficiary on your IRA? Who's going to be the beneficiary on your non-qualified annuity? Who's going to be the beneficiary on your life insurance policies? You know, those are things to consider. They may think about life insurance, purchasing life insurance just as an estate equalization tool. You know, you can buy some life insurance, leave that to one set of beneficiaries, and then, and, you know, leave another set of assets to another types of beneficiaries. That's another technique that to be considered. 
And then another thing to consider is just, okay, what, what kind of, if, especially if it's a blended family scenario and you're on a, with a second spouse, what kind of income sources are we going to leave behind for that second spouse? So a guaranteed income for a surviving spouse is something also that is a, you know, kind of a simple solution to consider. After you go through those, understanding if those might meet the client's needs, then you got to think, what can we do? What would we have to potentially do next that, that may be a little bit more complex? And that's where really trust comes in. So you, you try those simple things first, then it's probably thinking if those aren't going to satisfy, that's where you'll have to look to trust. And that's where they'll have to bring in other professionals like attorneys to help the, the clients draft those. But that focus on, you know, simple uh, may be a way for advisors to feel more comfortable to start with. The Financial Planning Association had a statistic, and this was shocking to me when I first saw it, that 44% of financial professionals feel higher stress today than they did five years ago around maintaining work-life balance and building their business. I imagine that working with any non-traditional client can be more time-consuming. Cindy, what can we tell these professionals that want to provide helpful and customized solutions for their clients without feeling like it'll throw their balance completely out of whack? Yeah, I think maintaining work-life balance can be challenging for many in this profession, just given the increased consumer demands, expectations, and overall just the need for financial planning. And when you couple that with specific challenges advisors and firms are facing with decompression, shrinking margins, and increased competition all the way around, actively managing stress levels as well as energy management will become increasingly more and more important. With that said, um, the way that professionals can really provide helpful and customized solutions for their clients without feeling like it will throw their balance out of whack is by leveraging technology, not only to stay organized, but to do business with them easier. I think that really will be key. What we learned in an Edelman Edelman's 2019 Trust Barometer Survey was that north of 70% of respondents believe it's important for financial services to really take the lead on creating and using emerging technologies that make doing business with clients easier. When you couple that insight with the pandemic and navigating COVID-19 and how this has accelerated advisor and firm adoption of technology and tools to not only continue to conduct business remotely, but also just making sure that they're able to deepen uh, the connections they have with current clients. This is something that we anticipate to influence how advisors conduct business in the future. And we anticipate that this shift and utilization overall of technology in how advisors conduct their business will continue to help them address how they can better maintain their work-life balance as well as that of their clients. So, and that's something that we saw with a recent interview with CNBC as well as the Financial Planning Association. Again, really just how the pandemic and navigating COVID-19 has accelerated advisor and firm adoption of technology and tools and how we see this being fully integrated into how advisors actively think about managing work-life balance again, not only independently, but that of their clients as well and being flexible to meet them where they are when they're there. Julie and Cindy, when talking about this topic before, I believe you've said that financial professionals who want to take on new non-traditional clients should reevaluate or strengthen their core value proposition. What do you mean by that? And can you provide some examples of how that might successfully play out? 
Um, Cindy, how about uh, you start off? Start us off. Yeah, so change is constant, and client needs and expectations, you know, change, particularly for potential clients that may be considered non-traditional families, given that they might be have been impacted by a significant life event. Therefore, it's really imperative for advisors to keep a pulse, um, you know, as they do in the normal course of business on those evolving and changing needs and expectations, particularly as it pertains to that non-traditional family and knowing that specific family's dynamic to ensure that there's consistency between that client's needs and expectations as well as their value proposition. An interesting finding that we saw in an independent review of Barron's top 100 advisors' websites was that 32% of value propositions among advisors promise to develop solutions that meet client needs. Where the opportunity really lies in clients consider a lot of this to be the, the inherent value that the advisor brings to the table. So really how the advisor demonstrates that they know their client, understands their unique attributes, as well as that non-traditional family structure and how their needs may differ is going to be critically important. And I think well stated earlier by Julie, institutionalizing that active listening and connecting it with what you learned, those unsaid truths, those fears that, again, may not be stated, and being able to make some connections is really going to be a differentiating factor. Just to really build on what what Cindy had to say, I think that as financial professionals think about expanding into different markets, one of the things it's important to be purposeful about is for the advisor to really think about the value proposition they bring to a table. And so I was at a conference and and spoke to several different very successful financial professionals who had successfully launched their practice into new markets. And a lot of what they did was really do some soul searching and say, this is the value I bring my clients. And there could be a lot of answers to that question, but there was one that stuck out in particular to me. And it was a financial advisor who really was just an analytical guy. He was not an extrovert, um, but he was someone who came to every client meeting deeply prepared with all the spreadsheets and all the information, someone who could really go deep with their clients on products and strategies and, and enjoyed that. That was his favorite part of the business. And so he thought to himself, you know, how do I really leverage this strength of mine into a new market? And he ended up serving mainly engineers and pilots who just professionally tend to like to be that analytical too, and who have kind of fun, as he would say, geeking out on that. One of the things he said is that what they care about is that I'm able to come to the table and answer every single question they have about their portfolio. And so one of the things I, when I would talk to financial professionals, I would say, you know, how do you like to serve your clients? Where do you get your energy? Is it in building relationships? Is it in kind of, you know, feeling like you really know your clients on a personal level? Is it, is it working through divorce? Is it working through transition? Where do you get your energy? Figure, because likely that's where you get your value. That's really what you bring to the table is what you have energy around. And then look around the marketplace and say, how can I leverage that to work with a new group of people I may have never worked with before? So you're, you're trying to expand your own business, really thinking about what you bring to that market rather than you, what you want from that market. And I think that's always the most successful way to go. 
I think right now, just from the passing earlier this year of the SECURE Act and a changing mindset around retirement preparedness, that people in general are thinking about retirement income planning. As we've talked about, non-traditional families may have complex challenges, and that can heighten the need for planning. Uh, Tom, have you seen this, and do you have any examples or considerations that, uh, that should be uh, thought of? I think the, the first thing that I would say is, is and this is, applies really to, for non-traditional families and every, everybody else, single, whatever kind of uh, classification we would want to put on them, is to really make sure that people have updated their beneficiary designations. Unfortunately, one of the things I've been seeing in, in our casework is an increase in folks passing away. You know, whether you know it's the IRA owner or it's the annuity owner or, or even in cases where we'll see beneficiaries that pass away before the account owners. And you get into situations where estates are taking uh, assets from IRAs and uh, annuities specifically when that wasn't what the intention was. Or there's beneficiaries who are on there now who they didn't intend to, to actually get it because a, a prior beneficiary had passed away and they, and they didn't do any updating. So my biggest takeaway, and I say this in every, every time I'm out speaking to advisors, is Make sure for every client meeting that you have, every prospect that you you are working with, is ask them who they want to inherit their, you know, these IRAs and these qualified plans and their annuities and their life insurance, and make sure you get get those beneficiary designations uh, up to date so people can have their wishes be fulfilled with how, who gets what those assets when and when because that's really important. And well, unfortunately, right now with, we've seen more folks pass away than it is the norm. And there's a lot of wealth that's ending up in the in the hands and and the people or in the situations that that wasn't intended, and that's always tough to take from a family's perspective. So update those beneficiary designations, regardless of of family situations, uh, is a, is a good place to start with doing planning for anybody. Uh, well, we did it. Uh, we apologize if the audio quality wasn't superb, but we hope you were able to get some good information. Uh, thank you, Julie, Cindy, and Tom. We appreciate your time today, and we'll be back again soon. This has been the Advanced Consulted Group Podcast. This recording is not intended by the creators to be used and cannot be used by anybody for the purpose of avoiding any penalties that may be imposed on you pursuant to the Internal Revenue Code. This information contained herein was prepared to support the promotion, marketing, and or sale of life insurance contracts, annuity contracts, and or other products and services provided by Nationwide Life Insurance Company. This recording is not designed or intended to provide financial, tax, legal, accounting, or other professional advice because such advice always requires consideration of individual circumstances. If professional advice is needed, the services of a professional should be sought since neither the company nor its representatives give legal or tax advice. Federal tax laws are complex and subject to change. As you or your client's personal situations change, for example, marriage, birth of a child, or job promotion, so will your or their life insurance needs. Care should be taken to ensure these strategies and products are suitable for long-term life insurance needs. You should weigh objectives, time horizon, and risk tolerance, as well as any associated costs before investing. Also, be aware that market volatility can lead to the possibility of the need for additional premium in the policy. Variable life insurance has fees and charges associated with it that include costs of insurance that vary with such characteristics of the insured as gender, health and age, underlying fund charges and expenses, and additional charges for riders that customize a policy to fit your client's individual needs. Before investing, understand that annuities and or life insurance products are not insured by the FDIC, NCUSIF, or any other federal government agency and are not deposits or obligations of, guaranteed by, or insured by the depository institution where offered or any of its affiliates. Annuities and or life insurance products that involve investment risk may lose value. Federal income tax laws are complex and subject to change. The information in this recording is based on current interpretations of the law and is not guaranteed. Neither Nationwide nor its employees, its agents, brokers, or registered representatives gives legal or tax advice. You should consult an attorney or competent tax professional for 
answers to specific tax questions as they apply to your situation. All guarantees and protections are subject to the claims-paying ability of Nationwide Life Insurance Company and do not apply to variable underlying investment options. Investing involves market risk, including risk of loss of principal. Before selecting any product, please consider objectives and needs, including cash flow and liquidity needs, and overall risk tolerance and time horizon, as well as any associated costs. Annuities and life insurance products are underwritten by Nationwide Life Insurance Company and Nationwide Life and Annuity Insurance Company, Columbus, Ohio. The general distributor for variable annuity contracts and variable life insurance policies is Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA. Nationwide, the Nationwide and an Eagle, and Nationwide is on your side. Our service marks of Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company.